Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast. My name is Michael, and we are here today for another faculty meeting. This will be episode 156, Actual Plays. Joining me as always is my co-host, Tom. Tom, say hello to everyone. Hello to everyone. Tom, where can people find you on the interwebs if they want to come yell at you for your wrong, bad opinions? You can find me at BezcarTom on Twitter. That's Mandalorian Metal Tom on Twitter. But I'm currently taking a Twitter break right now. You know, just trying some things out. I'll be back, though. So if you want to talk to me right now, you can hit me up on Discord. Fantastic. And I, of course, can be found at the RPG Academy. So uh, patron news, no new patrons this week, which is very sad, but understandable. But our patron of the week this week is Rachel. Rachel is one of our newer patrons. She's actually been a big Catacon attendee for multiple years. She's also been one of our NPCs in my D&D-inspired murder mystery LARP, Lord McAllister's birthday. She was the cook for several years, and then this last year, uh, the lady who normally does um, Mrs. McAllister um, wasn't able to to attend, so she stepped into that role, and then uh, Jared backfilled into the chef position. So I really appreciate all she's done to help make that event awesome every year, and now she's one of our patrons, and thank you very much, Rachel. Appreciate it. All right, but before we get into the show proper, we always like to take a minute, take a step back, and say why we're here. The goal of these faculty meetings is that in the conversation that Tom and I are about to have, that at some point there should be at least one nugget of wisdom, something that you, dear listener, can pull out and apply at your tables to make your games more fun for you and for the people playing them. But we understand that the opinions we share and the advice we give may not work at every table every time, but there is one piece of advice that we feel is pretty universal. And Tom, what is that one piece of advice? If you're having fun, you're doing it right. That is correct, sir. So no matter what game you're playing, the system or edition, what rules you use, don't use, or misuse. As long as you and your friends are having fun at the table, you're doing it right. So with that out of the way, we're going to jump into RPG news. What you got for me this week, sir? Um, Not much, because, like I said, I haven't been on Twitter. All right. And I'm very tired right now, Michael. You know, we're in the Mm -hmm. process of move, trying to sell our house, all this other kind of stuff. So very light on the news right now. But I will say the one thing that I did want to pull out, which I think is an interesting industry thing, is that Free League is going to be publishing novels that are tie-ins to their alien adventures. So I think this is cool. Uh, because it's uh, novels tied into stories, I mean, into the RPGs. I know Fantasy Flight did some stuff with the L5R 5th edition. Uh, They published some short novellas for that uh, game. But I think I would like to see more novels set in some RPG worlds or settings, because I think there's so many games that I would like to play but I don't necessarily have time to play them or times when I'm the game master and I want to experience the world with the, with a different set of eyes. I think it would be cool. Like, I mean, I would, you know, love to read a novel, you know, set in the Forbidden Lands. I mean, or, I mean, think about it. D&D used to publish novels and I, I don't think they'd really do that as much anymore. So I think it's interesting that uh, Free League's doing that. So I'd be curious to see if anybody else starts doing that. All right, very cool. And then I will also mention as a tie-in to that, it has recently been announced that Dragonlance is coming back. It's a very 
popular uh, setting for Dungeons and Dragons. There's, you know, some very famous books, um, Rasslin the Mage and uh, all the rest. I can't remember. Tasselin, I think. Um, it's, it's Rasslin and Tasselhoff. I don't know. I read this like a long time ago. Anyway, the some of the new Unearthed Arcana came out relates to Dragonlance and some of the character options that you would assume would then come along with a setting. So I don't know if they have officially actually announced that Dragonlance is a setting or just everybody assumes that since they released like this setting dependent um, options through Ar- Unearthed Arcana that it is going to be next. But I'm I'm sure it's coming out at some point soon because it's just too popular of a setting to not. For th- That's so weird. It's, oh, so I missed that. Did, was that announced? When was that announced? Cause obviously so again, I so the, the most recent Unearthed Arcana brought back Kinder. Um, and I don't I don't oh. know what else was in there because I didn't look at it. But I know everyone, it was like the big thing in my okay. Twitter sphere of people talking about Kinder and how people hate them. But most people who hate them don't really understand them because people play them poorly and blah, 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 blah. So I know there are some Dragonlance-specific content in the Unearthed Arcana. And I, I, I just, again, if it hasn't been announced, I would be willing to bet the house that Dragonlance will be one of the newer, one of the upcoming setting books that's released. It's so weird. I don't know. Um, I feel like, you think about like the Eberron setting came out, the Eberron book um, for fifth edition, and it was, it exists, and I feel like it was just then gone. I mean, I think about like, yeah, Dragonlance to you is very much like this thing that you know, but for someone like myself who came into Dungeons and Dragons with 5th edition, I don't know anything about Dragonlance. I don't care about it. Like, right. is there really an audience for that? There absolutely is. That okay. is a, people loved that setting. The same people who loved Ravenloft will probably there's probably a high crossover. Uh so yeah, this is definitely going to be a targeted at the older members of the, you know, gaming community, but I think there'll be some interesting things in there that some of the newer players will, will attach to as well. Uh the fact that you can be a dragon rider and fight on the back of dragons. That's what the dra- oh. the titular dragon lance is a weapon that you use as a knight on the back of a dragon fighting against other dragons. So all the stuff we should have gotten fizzbands. Yeah, well, Fizban, I believe, is a character from the Dragonlance novels. If I'm remembering correctly, Fizban is like one of the main wizards in that setting. Yeah, uh, yeah, okay. Weird, weird on their part with the Fizban's release. Nothing, 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 and now Dragonlance. I don't know. Uh, I think big we'll picture, see. they probably saw it as like it's, it's one more piece in the puzzle. Okay, well, okay, well, that's cool. All right, what else? Do we have some Action 12 updates? So we do, actually. We have a couple things. Um, so one, this episode probably won't come out for a couple weeks because we actually have one episode in the can already. Nice. So by the time this comes out, I will have already done this. But there is a stream going to be coming out this coming Saturday, which I believe is the 19th, 2 o'clock Eastern Time on the Rook and Rasp Twitch channel. The audio video should still be available. So if, if you, again, it, it will have already passed by the time you hear this. If you want to check it out and you missed me when I tweeted about it, because I'm sure I'll do that nonstop, uh, but you will be able to go back to their page and, and watch it there. Uh, so it's the first ever live stream of the game. I'm very excited, but also very nervous about how it will be received. But here's the big news. This is breaking news on Action 12. And it's it's kind of put me in this really, not awkward, but like, it, I, I posted on Twitter a while back, there's like a fork in the road. And that's kind of where I'm at. So any moment now, I should be getting back the second set of revisions from Tracy. I've been talking to Tracy and Tracy has decided that they no longer want to participate in the development of my game. 
I have been assured by Tracy that has nothing to do with the quality of my game. This has to do with them wanting to take a step back and away from Kickstarter. They don't want anything to do with Kickstarter anymore, and that was the plan for my game. And also, they're reevaluating. And again, this is me suppositioning, but Tracy had a Twitter thread a while back about taxes and like because they had a very successful Kickstarter last year. And I think they're reevaluating like how they're going to make their money and all that kind of stuff. So we've terminated the contract. I've already paid them some money for what they've done. And so I'm going to get what's called an ash can version of the game. It'll be fully revised, fully laid out, but it's going to be very basic. There's no interior art. Yep. And I should be able to take it as it is and just put it on itch right yep. away. And that was actually Tracy's kind of suggestion was to do that. Absolutely. I think I still want to go to Kickstarter. Yeah. I, I think that's the best avenue for me. They haven't actually made any of these changes they've talked about. And and again, it's and I do agree, I think them going to blockchain is incredibly stupid, but like I still use PayPal and they do things on the blockchain. I still use Amazon and they still do things on, on the blockchain. So it's not like I have some like high ground to stand on. But so until they actually go fully into this really world weird stuff, I think there's there's a there's room for me to try to get into Kickstarter because I think this game deserves it. I think it would be I think it will be able to be successful, but I'm going to have to have someone to help me because I don't know currently how to do that effectively and not get, put myself in a position where I lose money trying to print the books and everything. So I'm going to be looking for someone that can then take over where Tracy is leaving off, help me finish the game, you know, get the art put together do all the calculations. What do we need from a Kickstarter to make it successful? And my plan is to still have it on Kickstarter at some point this year with a delivery date of sometime next year. Probably PDFs could come out much quicker than that, but physical copies. And it'll probably all be through drive-through with coupons and stuff like that, just because I think that's easier than trying to do my own offset. But, but that's where I'm at. So that's where I'm trying to figure out, do I want to just put it on itch and then let it be its thing and move on? Or do I want to go to Kickstarter to try to get enough funds to, to make it the way I want it to be with this interior art, with this cool layout? And I'll be honest, pay myself back for all the time and money I've already sank into it. Because I've got over about $2,200 sunk into the game already that I would need to get back just to break even at this point. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's cool. Uh, the definitely, I mean, definitely, I'm a big fan of doing Ashcan releases on Itch. I look at uh, Calum with the the Royalist podcast with their uh, Paris Gondo. They did a pretty successful Ashcan version of Paris Gondo, um, and then went to a more uh, fully fleshed out uh, color art version later. Uh, and I think that worked out pretty well for them. So yeah, I, that was actually yeah. sort of like one of the decision points for me is I do think that Kalen has been very successful, but here's, here's my concern with that. And this is a Michael thing. If I were to put it on itch, it's going to take a lot more effort for me, I think to build to the type of success that Kalem has seen. And I have three other games in development and I cannot go to those other games until action 12 is done. That is just Mm. a Michael thing with my brain. And if I put it on itch, those other games will lie fallow until a year or two pass where I'm slowly building enough funds and then redoing and redoing. The only way for me to say this game is done. You can have it. Here it is. Here's these other things I'm working on is I need to be able to close the book, you know, metaphorically on action 12. It's not that I won't ever play it or, you know, that kind of thing, but I can't, come back to it after six months and try to add more art and come back six months later and try to do a different layout. Now that I have a better idea of that kind of thing, I need to get it done. Even if that includes paying other people to finish it and again, do the layout, do that kind of stuff. 
or this will be the only game I ever do. And these other three that I have are just going to fall apart. And I've got a couple that I think are really kind of close to starting to do some public stuff with them. Uh, that's just the way I am. So I feel like Kickstarter is the best option for me personally. Okay. Yeah, no, that's all pretty cool. So a lot of stuff to think about. All right. So do we have any Akatacon updates? Uh, the only thing is we have set the Kickstarter date, August 16th, Tuesday, a couple weeks, week and a half after Tuesday. Gen Con wraps up. We will be going live with our Kickstarter. We are going to be using Kickstarter unless something drastically changes between now and then. That is the plan. We will be using Kickstarter again this year. As always, I will say, I hope it's the last year we have to do that. But I still think based off of last year and our need to really have a good year this year and to get our deposit money, all that kind of stuff, I still think Kickstarter is the best option for us. So Kickstarter, August 16th. I don't know yet what the goal will be, but it should be pretty reasonable. And um, yeah, we've already started. We've got some art coming in. We're working on the final logo. Uh, I got somebody working on the posters to get them up before the Kickstarter Things are starting to move. Exciting times. And all of that relates to the fact that we had the faculty retreat last weekend. We did. So, Tom, you had a chance. This was your second faculty retreat, I believe? Yeah. So, I came in 2019, and then COVID happened, obviously. We canceled. And then 2021, I did not come. So, it was good to be back in Grand Rapids, hanging out with everybody just playing games and having a good time yeah so i me and my wife we we came up there my wife is super into board games not so much rpgs but she enjoys hanging out so it was a good time yeah so um again just for kind of quickly any highlights any favorite games that you got to play any misses anything that you wanted to get to we didn't have a chance to get around to so I don't think any misses because I come up there with very with no expectations other than I just don't want to play RPGs <laughs> because to me it's a break. I want to just do board games and it is because uh, it's a little more relaxing. No no prepping. I don't want to do any prep. This is kind of like a a vacation almost a gaming vacation. Yeah. So um the but the highlight was terraforming Mars for me because I love that game. And I taught it to several people on Friday morning or Saturday morning. And then Saturday night, uh, me, Jared, and Rocky, rules cap, we decided that they, we wanted to play again. So we started playing Terraforming Mars at like, you know, like 1 a.m. And <laughs> played it till like we played and hung out till like 4 a.m. So that was a lot of fun. Nice. So, oh, and then also big highlight, Grand Rapids. I know, I, me and my, there is a, it is such a treat to go up there too. It's just such a cool city. We love it so much. There is a particular restaurant we always like. Is one thing we seek out. It's a big thing. It's like a, it's like it has a cult following in my gaming group because all of my, everybody in my gaming group likes this place too. Hmm. Called Brie Vivant. It's an old church and they serve French farmhouse food. And so whenever I go up there, I always bring back a bunch of beer um, for the, for some people in my, my gaming group. And so it's always just kind of like whenever, because I'm not the only one who goes to Grand Rapids regularly. Like it's like a, it's like a pilgrimage for us so we got to go there which is always a highlight nice so i uh, had a wonderful time as well again it's one of my absolute favorite weekends of the year 
And um, I finally got Who Goes There off of my bucket you list. You did. You I've did. been tr- wanting to play that game for over three years. It finally happened. And I did enjoy it, but it took way too long. And it is a game that takes a while, but that particular setting is not good because it's it's also a social event. These are people we don't get to see all that often. So to commit five hours to do that where you're basically excluded from all the other things that are happening is not ideal. And I just think that you can play the game quicker, but we were learning it as we go. So there were some other factors involved, but I am so glad I got to play it. I did enjoy it. I want to play it again under different circumstances. Um, I got to play my Batman Shadow of the Bat game, uh, which was fun. I got to do that as well. Uh, Got to play uh, Hanabi with someone who never got played before. So I got to teach Hanabi. Uh, Got to play the Mind Extreme. That was was one of the best moments was me, Jared, and Chris playing that game. There's a version. You played the Mind, right? So we played the Mind Extreme too. And myself, Jared, and my wife, Judith, we got up to level eight Mm. with all of our lives blindly putting cards out and didn't mess up one time. We were in sink. The only reason we quit was so we could play Throw Throw Burrito. Nice. And that's what I felt like. That was one of my favorite moments of the the weekend is that there's a new mechanic in the extreme version of the mind where you play cards face down. And so you actually play them all. And then you go back through and flip yeah. them over, and you can lose your lives if you make a mistake. Where when you play it live, you can kind of readjust as you go. And when you would flip those cards over, and they were in the correct order, sometimes literally one apart. You flip a twenty-two, and then you flip a twenty-one. I mean, it's like elation. Like people are like, yeah, like you know, standing up and shouting, and it's just an amazing feeling to do this dumb thing, but to do it well was was great. So I actually really, really liked that. We got to play Cartographers, which is a game I never played before. I enjoyed it quite a lot, but I definitely would want to play it again because I made I made a mistake like round one, and there was no recovery. Once I made that mistake, I was out of the game. I was out of the running. But I, you know, it's, you learn a game, so it's fine. But yeah, tons of games. I had so much fun. Thank you to everybody who came out. I really appreciate it. Uh, Gene, Brian, Chris, Clay, obviously it's me, you, Rocky, and Jared were there. Michael, Chris from Redemption. Chris's wife was there. Chris's son came for a little while. Uh, Michael's from Redemption's friend, John, you were Brian. there. Judith. Huh? Brian was there. Brian came on Saturday. He's one of our, uh, uh, patrons as well as a, a catacon, uh, person who comes and plays games with us there. Am I forgetting anybody? I'm sure I am. Yeah, probably. All right. Well, but thank Maybe. you all for coming and playing games. It was awesome. Cannot wait to do it again next year. Yeah, All right, so with that out of the way, let's move into the show proper. Again, these are these we're looking back on some of the older episodes. Today we're really taking a look back at Dungeon Talk episode 22, which was originally titled The Egg Timer Will Spite You. So, Tom, what you got for me, buddy? Okay, so episode 22, I was very confused because it goes, you guys, you all did a lot of goofy stuff back in the day. I'm sure. All right, so you have episode 20. There's no 21. It goes 22. Then there's like some campaigns mixed up in there. And then I get a scroll up a little bit. And then there's episode 21. So I don't understand why 20, but 21 was released like four weeks after 22, (laughs) but it was, and we'll get to 21 eventually. So, uh, no, so this is called the egg timer will spite you. The, the, the big thing here that you and Evan were here to talk about was made men was over. 
at this point. Uh, this was not your post-mortem episode. I think that's episode 21, actually. Um, but what was what was interesting that you all were talking about actual plays, and it's kind of, it's so weird to think that in the span of 22 dungeon talks, you did an entire campaign of Maid Men. For whatever reason, in my brain, I was thinking Maid Men came much later in the RPG Academy history, but it was pr- like right at the beginning. Yeah, it was pretty it. quick. And in really, and I know we'll talk about it, I'm just going to see your notes. That was really what sort of propelled us into the height of our popularity there for a while. I mean, we had two, 3,000 downloads per episode, and a lot of that was based off the actual play. That's what was bringing people to to our yard. It wasn't our milkshake. It was our actual plays, which me and Evan both are like, I don't understand. So yeah, no, that was kind of the beginning of the Yerkhouse conversation. You all were very confused because you all would do massive gaps in between dungeon talks, I guess. Like there would be like, you would say like a month or two months. And it, me just listening to them one or after another, you don't realize that, um, how much time passed. Um, and sure enough, like you all were very confused why people were listening to made men. All right. So now looking back in retrospect, why do you think people were listening to Made Men and you were getting so many listens, but you weren't getting as many listens on Dungeon Talk? Like historically at the moment, 2013, why was Made Men successful, you think? I still don't know. Okay. You know, because I feel like even in those early Dungeon Talks, we have some really good advice. Like we have some stuff that I think is very valuable for people who are new or newer to the game, people who are wanting to become a DM, specifically with Evan and what he's trying to do. And, you know, again, me being sort of the sensei and trying to you know give wisdom, some of which probably wasn't that wise at the time. But to me, that feels like the thing that would draw people. And as a listener... I am much more likely to listen to a discussion episode about a role-playing game than I am an actual play. I do listen to a few, and I have listened to a few. You know, obviously, Critical Role is super popular, but but we weren't anywhere near the you know. They, were, they weren't even they weren't even around then. I don't think. No, well, they might. Have, they probably weren't recording or maybe releasing. Yeah, but maybe it was just that because again, podcasts have been around forever. But but I think we might have been one of the main actual plays at the time. Maybe it was just the window of opportunity. And I know our audio has crazy bad issues, but when it was good, it was good because I I was obsessive about trying to make it good. So we have episodes that are terrible and there's nothing I could do about it, but a lot of our episodes had really good audio. And I mean, I think I'm a pretty good DM. I think I think they played that game really well. I thought I did some really creative things that were interesting, but I still don't don't quite get why that was so much more popular than our Dungeon Talk episodes. So it's interesting, too. I think that, I mean, obviously, there are tons of APs now. I don't, obviously, I don't think there was as many then. And so when I first got into um, D&D back in 2013, uh, or even it was 2014, I didn't know uh, anything. And so I kept on looking and trying to find something. And I I stumbled upon the Dungeons and Dragons actual play, which on their podcast feed, they were releasing the Penny Arcade stuff. Mm-hmm. And so that was the first ones that I listened to. But I, and I thought those were great. And I was super entertained. And I love them. I don't like actual plays anymore. Why don't I like actual plays? Michael, and do you like actual plays? Very few. And so for me, 
I like actual plays when they are teaching me how to play the game more than just entertainment value. Because, again, myself included, it's usually more fun for the people at the table. There's inside jokes. There's things that we get. There's that tendencies, like one character does a thing that we all laugh because we we saw it coming, but maybe the audience didn't, type of a thing. You know, and even like Critical Role. I have no interest in in watching or listening to Critical Role, but I love going to watch movies. I go, yeah. I love watching improv. Like whose lines? It anyways, I will bust you know bust a gut over that. But if you're trying to like, if I'm trying to learn how to play a new game, I think an actual play that is designed to teach me that is super valuable because I can see the game actually in motion and how the DM or the GM or whatever is doing things, what the players can and can't do and how they interact with the rules much more than if someone, if I were to sit down to like me and you were trying to, we're going to teach someone how to play D and D by talking about it. Or if we were going to play a short scenario playing the game that teaches you, I think the short scenario that teaches you if done well is much better of a medium to convey to me how a game works. So I like to listen to actual plays about game systems. I'm trying to learn how to play. I don't listen to actual plays for entertainment anymore. Yeah. So when I started listening to the Penny Arcade stuff at the time, I was not playing yet. I had bought the starter set and I'm trying to figure out what I need to do. I have assembled my gaming group and we've got plans to play. But nothing's scheduled yet. So I'm listening to this Penny Arcade podcast, the Acquisitions Incorporated stuff, and I loved it. And I think part of that was because I didn't know anything about D&D. All of this stuff that they're talking about is new. It's fresh to me. I'm like, this is amazing. Like, when they roll attack or fireball, I that's, the, like, brand new. I've never seen this stuff before. They're casting these spells. They're using these powers. And all of it is great. And I... As I started playing more and more D&D, I then switched over. I started listening to the Adventure Zone, and I'm still enjoying it. But then after a while, it's just like I just couldn't do it anymore. I just kind of lost – I just lost interest in it. It just mm-hmm. wasn't as entertaining, and I started listening to – I st- listening to more audio dramas and stuff, which kind of filled that niche for me. And, yeah, I just I, – I get it. A lot of people still love them, and it's not one of those things where I'm like, oh, actual plays are dumb, because I do think a lot of them are extremely entertaining. I just don't know if I have the attention span to really get into them, or the, uh, the, I think you have to have the right time to do it, too. Like, I used to listen to actual plays when I was driving from to work. Uh, I mean, after... I mean, shortly after I started playing D&D, we moved much closer to my job. And I have like a 10-minute commute now. Right. And I started – I work from home a bunch. This is even before COVID. So it's kind of like I'm not in the car as much. So That also mirrors my experience. When I first started listening to actual plays, I also had a longer commute. And that was that was almost always my commute time was listening to various podcasts, including actual plays. And now that I don't really have that, that, that also might be part of it. So let's ask the audience because, you know, we still have, you know, several hundred to low and thousands of people who listen to these episodes. If, if you are still listening now and you were listening then, did you like? Any of our actual plays, not just Made Men, but did you like any of the actual plays that we did back then? And if so, why? What was it about them that drew you in? And, you know, is there anything we can do? Because we are still doing some actual plays. Ghost of Saltmarsh just wrapped up, but we're going to be looking at doing something new. I'm going to be doing a new streaming show later this year where we're going to do one shots of various systems. What is it that we did or we can do to, to make those interesting and fun to listen to again? Yeah. I'd love to it, hear from you. 
yeah, especially yeah, the stuff that we've done. It's what it's interesting too. Like, I have no problem making actual plays because at the end of the day, I'm just playing D and D. Like, I, I or any game, I'm just I'm just playing the game. That's but like it's just weird when you listen to somebody else. And I wanted to ask you then, Michael. Uh, one thing Evan brought up, and this goes back to like producing actual plays. So when you were playing Mad, or I keep wanting to say Mad Men. Uh, yeah. um, no, this isn't what's the John Ham or whatever. This is all right. So Evan wanted you to kind of let the story linger a little bit in Maiden. Inn. Like you got to a village or something, and Evan wanted to just run a bar or an inn or whatever. But you kept on trying to propel them in the story. And they thought that was cool, um, but they wish they would have done it differently. And you said in this episode that you just wanted to, for better or worse, you wanted to propel them to the next cool thing that they mm-hmm. would be doing. Would you have done it? Was that like specific for like, because it was an actual play? Is that just how you run games um, in general? It, it was then. That That is something I've also changed my my philosophy on. I felt like if I couldn't get them to the next cool thing, that they would lose interest. And, you know, when I try to teach people how to play D&D now, when I do like my seminars, whatever, like at Gen Con and such, I, I tell people, listen to what your players are doing because they will tell you what they want to do. They will find their own fun when you're not actively in, involving yourself into what they're doing. So if you can sit back and they are just having fun setting up a bar or trying to like, you know, put their house together, they want to buy a, buy a bar and turn it into a hideout and all that kind of stuff. Just sit back and let them do it because they have found their fun. You don't need to get involved. So you can help. You can like throw twists and drama in, but I basically didn't want them to deal with that because I thought I had something better. Like they don't even know what I'm going to reveal the curtain. There's going to be this cool scene over here. And I, I basically pushed them out of the room they were having fun from and tried to push them into a different room where I thought they would have fun and it did not work at all. So I definitely have changed and that very well probably was the impetus for that because I realized they were having fun without me messing it up or getting involved at all. And I could have just laid back and been the best DM ever for an hour doing nothing but listen to them have fun. And I didn't so, do that then. So you – all right, so this kind of is going to lead directly into our next thing. I, I, you've definitely changed as a DM, Michael. Um, you know, obviously people change in ten years. Yep. Um, I like to think I have grown and evolved. <laughs> so you would say this is like in your head. You were like, okay, they. I need to entertain them. So this yes. is in your head. You're internalizing what they think is fun. All right. So you're doing a lot of internalizing here. All right. So this is going to lead us into the next thing i wanted to talk about you all started talking about your new world game all right before mm-hmm. we talk about what new world is you talk you mentioned in this game this new campaign you were doing there was a shark to puss i think a that's tur- a shark to puss a tur- shark to puss okay all right and i want to talk about this because you evan was like um they just attacked it right away and then you in this conversation with evan you were like i wish you guys wouldn't have attacked it like, right away, wish you would have thought about the combat a little bit differently. And everyone was like, what do you mean? The thing attacked us. But then your response was, well, it wasn't necessarily dangerous, all right? And you tell them this. It, they're like, well, how are we supposed to know that the thing attacked us? And then you told them that the only reason that the creature attacked you was because it was upset because a fisherman had provoked it a little bit ago. But the characters, they weren't even 
in the scene when that happened and you were like yeah that was just kind of that happened in my head yeah. and so walk me through this okay well i think that's classic monster movie stuff i think i've seen that in media i've seen that in books and such where our main characters happen into a situation where it seems very clear that the monster is attacking people but with a little bit of like investigation we find out well no we the people have provoked it and there's it's you can calm the monster down and the monster will slip slip back into the water i just i was trying to recreate a scene that i have seen in other media and i guess dnd just wasn't the right medium for it maybe and again i'll take ownership i probably didn't communicate it well i probably didn't lay any like you know like maybe there's something else to do, like however heavy handed or, or light, lightly touched I should do. But that's what I wanted to happen is I wanted them to think, oh, my gosh, this is a very dangerous situation. But rather than just start stabbing it, like ask the other bystanders, like what happened? What's going on? And like, well, Jim stabbed the thing with a fork and now it's trying to kill us. You know, I, I had avenues for them to find this information out, but I wanted them to take the impetus of actually investigating rather than just going straight into initiative and attacking. I think that's one of the things about D and D is that when you go into initiative, I just think that's the mindset. Oh, we're in initiative. Oh, we yeah, must be sure. fighting. Yep. And yeah. so I probably today, I would not put them in initiative until they said they wanted to attack it and say, okay, this is what's happening. What do you want to do? Rather than let's roll into initiative. What do you want to do? I, th I think it's just too straightforward at that point. Oh, we must be in a combat situation. Yeah. With all games and even D and D, if, if you take a NPC or a character, or a monster and attack a player, they are just gonna like this is a fight. Okay, now all right, it's go time. Let's let's get let's let's get going. And then it was so funny. My and I, you said you you gave like a percentage. You said that you're like, yeah, the creature attacked you, but there's he's like you're still like there's like a there's like a a five percent chance that I thought you guys were gonna figure it out. And it was I was just like, what? Why would you get like five percent chance? No, that means it's a combat. Like. Anyway, so I, yeah, you definitely, yeah, I was just another interesting thing about you were internalizing what you wanted your players to do and what was going on in the scene, but you weren't giving your players the information they needed in order to actually do what you wanted them to do. Right. So how do you think But I will changed? say my defense, okay. I did roll with it. When they decided to attack, I didn't like make it kill them or whatever i'm like okay it's a combat now we we roll out the combat so i didn't want to like force what i thought would happen but i was disappointed that it didn't happen do you do it differently now do you like try not to internalize this stuff or do you kind of still is that still how you do it no i i feel like i prepare games so much differently now okay. where again my whole prep don't versus plan like i don't plan for there to be a combat or i don't plan for there to be this i just like i know in the game tonight three ogres are going to show up and this is why they're showing up and this is what they're after and then i just let whatever happens happens okay that's interesting because you also mentioned that um you you basically and evan says this too you guys wanted a combat in every game so and which I don't do, and I it sounds like you don't do that too. You have like these ogres ready, but it's not your intention. Like, oh, this is going to be a combat, right? I you know I usually I have a pretty good idea, especially if I'm playing with a group I played for with before what way it's going to go. 
but I never assume that they were going to fight the ogres or the Tersh octopus, whatever I'm putting in there. But I, that's always probably the top like option that I assume we will do. But if they decide to do something else, absolutely. I'll roll with it. I'll try to make that fun as well. But like, if I throw in three ogres, that's my assumption, but I'm not going to like plan. Like, Hey, after they fight the ogres, this happens. Cause as soon as I do that, that is when they will choose not to fight them. And then my plan has fallen apart and I'm scrambling and I don't feel as confident about what's going on. So if I'm just like, there's three ogres, we'll see how they deal with it. And no matter how they deal with it, I'm still going to go to the next thing or whatever makes sense that would lead from there. Okay. Yeah. It kind of leads to like the next thing, which was, yeah, Evan definitely felt like this campaign, a lot of the fights were scripted, um, very forced. I think it was you, uh, not, with D and D next being so new, I feel like a lot of it, and based on what you were saying and knowing where D and D is now, I feel like a lot of it was just not the rules for building combat encounters early on were just not done yet. So well, trying to remember. So I, I had some very specific design goals in mind for this campaign. And, and overall, I think it actually worked really well. You'll probably hear us talk about it. I, I think that, for the most part, they really enjoyed this campaign. There's a few specific sessions that were like super memorable. Like we still just there's a there's a there's a one coming up pretty soon that like we still talked about that years later because it was just a, it was a great moment. I was trying to get across how dangerous this world was. Okay, and so I would put combats in there that were way too tough for them to to get out. You know to win. But then trying to give them a way out because I wanted them to see, oh, we can't actually fight this. We're going to die. But I wanted them to, you know, it's d and I wanted them to roll combats. I wanted to do some stuff. So there probably was too much script in there because I wanted them to fight. But I knew they couldn't win. And if I just let the battle roll out, they would die. So I had to have some obvious ways for them to get out of the combat before they died. So I think that was probably what I was going for and just poorly executed. And I think that works. I think you still do that a ton, which is, I do that too. I, I bring a bunch of uh, overpowered encounters that, and I give players options outside of combat. And I think that's like, I think all good encounters, you should just, just be open to what your players may do. But I think with this particular group of players, and just based on hearing Evan and them talk, I feel like... In, Correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't nec- I don't know them personally, but like they seem like the group of players. Like if you put them in a combat and start fighting, they are gonna fight until yep. it's done. Yep. Okay. Yeah, and again, part of that was just them being new to the game, and, yeah. and combat is especially when you're new. I think especially when you're new in D and D, combat's one of the most fun things. Yeah. I was more interested in the role play stuff, but so they wanted to combat every game, but I was giving them a combat that they couldn't win. A lot of the times, which wasn't fun for them, probably shouldn't have done that, wouldn't probably do that now. So, again, it's just me feeling things out, learning to be a better DM, learning my players and what they want. But, again, I do think we eventually get there. There's one particular episode of Made Men. I might even ask you to listen to that episode. I'll have to dig out which one it is because I know we talk about it. But to be interested in maybe either before – I don't know. what, what, What order would you think would be more interesting, to listen to us talk about it first? And then actually listen to the episode or listen to the episode before we talk about it. I think listen to the episode before you talk about it. Okay, so I'll try to, I'll do some research to try to figure out which episode we talk about that scene and then which episode that scene is in. And okay. just give you some time to, because li- I mean, it's probably 45 minutes to an hour. It's not going to be that, that amount, much, much time for you to dedicate to it. 
Okay. Yeah, no. Okay, cool. Yeah, send it to me. I, I haven't listened to any of the old APs you guys did, but I think it would be highly entertaining because obviously I know you now. So um, that would be funny. Um, so yeah, no, this was a, this episode was all about really about actual plays and whatnot. The whole idea of the title, the egg timer will spite you. It goes into this whole concept of you guys talked about it briefly was somebody recommended bringing an egg timer into combat and, or into any sort of decision-making in D and D. Like if it's going on too long, you set an egg timer and the players know they have until the egg timer is over. Mm. Thankfully, both you and Evan agreed that this was a bad idea, and I yeah. agree also. <laughs> yeah, I, I would never do that. Um, I think Evan in particular was getting frustrated because it felt like we were spending so much game time planning, and then in typical D&D fashion, the planning didn't matter because as soon as they started, things fell apart. It's like, <laughs> okay, we're going to do this, 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 and this, and then step one go sideways so all the rest of the planning is usual useless and i think he was just getting frustrated with like they weren't doing enough because gotcha. of that and so we were trying to find ways to speed things up and i think we i think it had been a suggestion like we had been like on an earlier episode we talked about how can we make it a little bit faster and someone had written in like hey have you considered using an egg timer and we were both like eh, that's not for us <laughs> okay well yeah no that was it go um, let us know, listeners, if there's any actual plays you listen to or why you listen to them. Um, it'd be interesting. Because so, I know a lot of people do. We've had this conversation on our Discord many times. So let us know. And again, if you're someone who's listened to Made Men or listened to A New World, I would love to hear your thoughts, good and bad. Again, I, I hope I have enough distance from it. Like if you say it was terrible, I'm not going to like cry. But I would like to hear why, because again, I'm still learning. I'm still evolving as a DM, and I think I'm much better now than I was then. But there are moments in those games that I think are truly special, and I would just like to hear some some of the positives as well. Okay. All right. So we, we put a call out on social media for some questions, and we got several, so we're going to move into a mailbag section. Once again, we'll just make it very clear here. We are always interested in questions. So you don't have to wait for a specific call for a specific topic. If you have questions you would like for us to tackle, send them in. I will never guarantee that we will do a good job of answering them, but we will do our best to try to answer them. So our first question here comes from Scurvy Ninja uh, on Twitter, Esteban. And they asked, would Wizards of the Coast be better off giving Birthright its own non-5e adaptation, using it as a 6e testing grounds in a Kingdom Manager style board game slash card game, or make it a straight one book 5e conversion with some minor rule additions? Context, just a couple days ago, we released our latest Journey Through the Realms episode, which is where we're taking a high-level look at all the various settings of D&D, or many of them, and Birthright had just come out. So this is what this is directly related to, because in Birthright, the game kind of works like a worker placement game, or there's there's some like action economy where part of your, part of your cycle of gaming is assigning people into roles to do things like building a temple or manning that kind of thing. So it's, it has some very different uh, rule cycles into it than a typical D and D game. So I want to go with you, Tom. Most of that probably means nothing to you, but what's your answer? So uh, the, I I think that the, whatever wizards does for 60, it's going to be way different. All right. They, they, they'll have to. I don't think we'll ever see a 6E. Um, that's just my hot take. Um, so when you think about Birthright, um, I could see Wizards potentially doing a board game, though, based on Birthright. 
I could see them like they they do a lot of board games a lot of times with uh like they haven't done one recently with like campaigns or with the fifth edition stuff. You think about the 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 they did the Ghost of Saltmarsh game, they did the Storm Giants game, they've done all the they've done the Strahd game, all these other games. Um and I think it would be really interesting if they eventually do a birthright book, like doing a worker placement game or an area control game would be like, it's just screaming for it. Um, the other thing though, I will say is that if you're looking for a birthright, uh, game, there is one that is made for fifth edition already. And that is Matt Colville's kingdoms and followers. Um, or Kingdoms and Warfare book. Um, I They sent us a copy of that book. I read through it. I interviewed James and Tricasso about it. And this is Birthright. The little I know about Birthright, and I started listening to that, A Journey Through the Realms. And it's like, they made Birthright. So, um, right, it's, so quick, quick aside, though. I'm really proud of those Journey Through the Realms episodes. Yeah, those are cool, aren't they? They, they? they are good, especially for somebody like myself, who... And I would encourage anyone who isn't like an old school D and D nerd, or like you really don't know a lot of the history of these older settings. Like, yeah, there's a lot of good information. They're like 45 here. minutes to an yeah. hour, pretty short, in and out, high level. But I, th- I think I'm really proud of those. I really want a lot of people to listen to those. I'm really hoping that we'll get some people checking those out. Yeah, I mean, I've been listening to them. So Excellent. yeah, no, that's what I think. So what about All yourself? Right. So as for me, I do think we'll get a 6E eventually. I just think that's the cycle of capitalism that at some point in time, they're going to realize sales are slowing down. They need to restart the things. But it could be 10 more years in the future. But it'll happen someday. From what I remember Birthright and t- talking to Brandis about it, I think it makes more sense to do a 5E adapt- adapt- adaptation with optional rules that you can fit in because I think Birthright is a fundamentally different game than yeah. what most people are coming to 5e for. Because you know, we, we have that in Twitter argument a lot where people are playing 5e as a very role-play heavy game, and then you have everyone yelling at them, you're playing the wrong game because you five, you know, D D's about killing stuff and you're playing it this other game. But that's what people have come for. So I think trying to sell them like, hey, here's not a combat cycle mini game, but here's like an area control or worker placement or you know, area of influence. I think it would it would feel so weird that the people that are coming to the 5e right now or coming into the into the world would not appreciate that. So I think it makes it most more sense to be like if you're if you are interested, here's some additional rules, here's some subsystems that you can add in, you can build that to your own style. I don't think 6e is going to look anything like that. But I could be completely wrong. But I'm either way, s- thank you for the question. I'll be so mad if they add area control to 5e. I will, I will be on Twitter with all of everybody yelling. So uh, <laughs> we'll be yelling at you, Michael. All right. Fantastic. So, all right. So, yeah, next question comes from Jack uh, Vincent on Twitter. Uh, and Jack asks us about our faculty retreat. And, Jack, we talked about that at the beginning of the episode. Uh, but I think this is an interesting question. He also asks latest games in your backpack. So, Michael. What's so your latest is, game in the backpack? It's, it's not my newest game, but it is a game that was on my bucket list for a cat, for the faculty retreat, and I didn't get to it, and it's Wingspan. Oh, okay. Th- that is a game that I absolutely have heard wonderful things about. I'm very interested in playing it. It was one of the things I wanted to get to, did not. So probably it's my top of the line. I can't wait to get that to the table. 
Uh, I also just yesterday got my physical copy of the G.I. Joe role-playing game. I know Rocky got his a couple days ago. He's already been reading it. He mentioned on the Discord he's really enjoying it. I loved G.I. Joe as a kid. It was one of my favorite cartoons, so I'm really excited about digging into it as well. So those are probably my top two. What about you? Okay, so I actually have a game in my backpack right now. I'm about to, after we record this, I'm going to head into my office uh, to do some work there. My office is, it's been a ghost town since COVID. There's only people going into the office are engineers, and they're only going in occasionally. We have, I have a very loose kind of, I, I have a pretty laid back work environment where you can go in or you can't go in. And so what me and one of my coworkers have been doing is we've been playing board games. Um, in the big conference room that nobody uses for anything anymore. So we use the big table for playing board games. So uh, we are going to be setting up Twilight Struggle on lunch today. So we play that one pretty regularly. It usually takes us a couple days, you know, of doing moves here or there, you know, when we get time. So yeah, Twilight Struggle is in my backpack right now. So very literal. So oldest game you bought, but haven't gotten a chance to play. So that would have been Who Goes There? Okay. Other than last weekend, because it had been three years before I got to the table. Uh, Wingspan's probably close. I've had it for over a year and haven't got to play it. Um, I'm sure there's some others. And some of these I bought for a Catacon, so I don't know. Uh, Transformers, the deck builder, I've had it for a few months. I tried to play it solo, and I didn't couldn't grok it, so I wanted to play it at the factory retreat, but it didn't happen. So probably, probably Wingspan, maybe Transformers, deck builder. What about you? Uh, Imperial Struggle. So the uh, uh, sequel to Twilight Struggle, I've had it since it released, like a year and a half, two years ago, and I haven't played it because I know Twilight Struggle, and it's like the rule book is like it's like two rule books. It's dense, and me and my me and my coworkers we know this game so well, so we keep on playing it. And we don't want to invest the time to learn another game that is too dense rule books when we already know a game that is too dense rule books. So it sits there and we, we, we both tell each other that we're going to get to it eventually, but we'll probably just keep playing Twilight Struggle. So. Fair enough. Uh, and then Jack actually followed up and asked another question on Discord, because he joins us over there as well. Uh, why do I keep acquiring D&D modules when I don't make time to actually run them? All right, Jack, I'll answer this for you. Okay, the the same reason that, uh, that all of us do. All right, the, yeah, we may not get all the books, the, the, the rules supplement, but there's something about the modules that are really cool because they just feel like stories. And I think it's okay to get them, to enjoy them, read through them, and not have to feel the burden that you need to run them. So just get them, read the story, enjoy it, put it on your shelf, and call it a day. And hopefully one day you will get to play it. But anyway, I think that's why. So my answer to this is... And I know I'm not the only one. You, I, I'm almost, I guarantee Caleb will completely agree with this. Well, we always disagree. 90%, and you might as well. There's something about buying a brand new notebook or okay. journal because it's the potential. You might write the greatest thing ever written in there. You might come up with a great story. You might come up with a great idea of a great game. of A brand new notebook, completely pristine, no pages have been written in, could be anything it's potential and the same thing with an adventure you buy it because of the potential 
of what it might bring to you and your gaming table and the fun it might provide. But potential sometimes does not equal necessity. And you have a game already planned or you may not have time. So it goes on the shelf and it sits there. But all that kinetic or what is it? Potential energy is still there, has not yet converted to kinetic energy. There's also FOMO, capitalism, also. Okay. All those reasons. Yes. Okay. So, uh, Big Al, he asked you a few questions. And I actually, Michael, I don't want to spoil Big Al's first two questions. I want to save them for next time because okay. I have a lot to say about the first two questions. All right. A okay. lot. I want to do a segment on them. But I do want to answer his second question because I think it's something quick that we could tell anecdotes about. So, okay. All right. I want you could start. All right. And, you know, no holds barred. All right. What's the most toxic player to player or player to DM situation you've been in? And how was it handled? If you could do it over, how would you handle it differently? All right. So I'm going to use, this is something we've talked about many times before. Tony, one of, if not the worst. I don't, uh, maybe you've mentioned him. I, I don't remember this. So We absolutely did several times. He will come up again and again and again. Now there's been a few episodes you've skipped for various reasons. A couple like the audio was bad yeah. and that kind of stuff. So it might've been in there, but we definitely talk about Tony multiple times. Um, because basically the reason I'm friends with Jared and Brad is because of that game. And that is truly the only good thing that came out of those games. They were some of the worst games I've ever played in my life. And, you know, again, I know how hard it is to be a DM and I was, I give A for effort, but Tony's probably the worst DM I've ever, ever spent time with multiple games. I don't know why I kept going back. It's really weird. That's how desperate I was to play. But there's one, one instance in particular, uh, where Jared was playing and, Jared did something that the DM didn't like, and Tony just goes, your character's paralyzed, you can't talk. And for the next three hours, Jared was sitting there, his character unable to move, participate in the game, because he had just made Tony mad because he wasn't going along with Tony's story. And it oh, was awful. Word. I felt so bad for Jared. And again, that's literally one of the reasons why I wanted to, when I decided to leave Tony's game and start my own, I handpicked two players from that group that I wanted to come with me because I liked them as people. I thought they would be great role players and it was Brad and it was Jared. And I said, Hey, I'm going to start my own game. Why don't you two come with me? So the way I would have handled it differently is I would have left earlier, maybe even that moment and said, F you, Tony, Jared, Brad, you're with me and walked out. Okay. That sounds terrible. (laughs) All right. So mine. All right. I'm not going to tell the story about me kicking my brother out of the game that we are playing at. I think I've told that story before. Don't worry, me and my brother are still friends. I've got a- another story. This happened at a local convention, Michael. Um, and we all the we all fear the convention horror story. All right. So, but, all right. So, I'm running a Curse of Strahd module that I've written. It's called Let's Kill Strahd. All right. And it's basically like um, everybody's playing famous vampire hunters. They're everybody's super OP, and you're going to go kill Strahd. That's the point. It's very right, quick. I'm it's a, I'm, I'm it's a combat so game. It's a combat heavy game. So everybody's having a good time. This one guy sits down. All right. And we get into the Strahd fight. And right off the bat, a character does something. Okay. And I fail the role. I'm rolling for Strahd. And so I'm like, oh, I fail. You get to do your thing. The player then interrupts me. And he's like, oh, Strahd has legendary resistance. You don't fail. 
I was like, well, hold on. It's, um, it's an optional. It's just, I can, if I want to, he's like, well, you don't, you don't fail you. And I was like, oh, well, we're going to make this player one to do this cool thing. All right. So then I give Strahd flight, but not in bat form. And the guy was like, oh, Strahd can only fly when he's a bat or missed form. I was like, okay, man. Um, I've, I've did, I made a very specific to different stat block for this particular adventure. I'm, 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 don't worry, Michael, I'm not fudging the dice rolls like you. All right. So I'm running this, how I wrote it. And he keeps on correcting me and I was getting really frustrated. All right. Then, so we go to a break, we take a break and I go to the player and I'm like, Hey man, would you just mind not, I've written a little bit differently than you're used to. It's not the same stat block from the Curse of Strahd adventure. So let's just roll with it. So then we get back into the game and he goes, a player runs past me and I'm Strahd and this player is almost dead. All right. And he runs past Strahd. He's a new player. And technically, yes, I would get to do an attack of opportunity. And I don't because I know I'm going to kill him when he runs past me. And this guy's trying to do this cool thing, run on the walls. and I'm not going to kill him. All right. Because I don't have to do an attack of opportunity. Um, then the this player, he interrupts me again. He's like, you have to do an attack of opportunity. I was done. I was done. I turned all of my fury, and I didn't hold back anything, and I killed his character. Dead. He was dead. This is recently, too. This is like, this is like right before COVID. I just killed him. And he, I killed him further than he couldn't even do death saves because I took him past his whole health again. He was like, oh, I'm I'm like, yep, you're dead. And then he just sat there for two more hours and did nothing. He just, oh it, and it was so awkward, but you know what? I didn't care. He was dead and he was no longer correcting me because his character was dead. So he couldn't say anything. I was so satisfied. I have never, I was killing that character. It made me so happy. It was cathartic. Um, but so that's how I dealt with a bad situation. I just killed the char- the problematic character. Should I have handled it differently? No, that was that was good because <laughs> everybody else at the table, I could see a glint, a, a a a sparkle in their eye when I did that, and they were all very happy I did that. So I would just quickly add that don't also don't do that if you're a player to player. That's one of my biggest <laughs> frustrations when I'm trying to teach the game and I'm just trying to do like a loosey goosey. Let's just have fun. And someone's like, well, no, you have a bonus stack. Don't forget that you can, you can also dodge. There's nothing to dodge, but you don't want to lose, you know, action economy. You don't want to not take something when you can. And it's like, that's not the type of game I'm running. And I, and I tried to be very upfront when I do the descriptions, like when I run a camp, a convention game, I'm like, this is a low combat, high story, high role play, rule fudging. Like I try to try to be very clear what you're signing up for, but every now and then you get someone who either just didn't read it or doesn't care. And I think it comes from a good place that they're just trying to help the other person learn to play the game. Cause usually I run games that are aimed at people who are new to the game and they think they're helping but I'm trying to teach a different type of game where it's like story time, role playing, like just tell me how cool you are and I'm probably going to let you do it. And they're like, well, the mechanics say, don't be that person, okay? Like if someone asks for help, if they say, I'm not sure what my best option is here, you can weigh in, but don't stop someone as a player to another player and say, well, your best course of action here is to do this. You should use this spell. You should use this technique. Let people do their own thing. And if they make mistakes, I'm not the type of DM that's going to kill their character. And then they're out. I'm going to like let them roll with it. And then later you can say, you know, in round one, you use this spell. 
technically you probably should have used this one and here's why like if they even want to hear that but just don't stop the game in the middle of the game to try to tell someone the best correct action that is not the type of game i'm up for certainly at least at my table that's not welcome i don't other tables they may want that but not mine please so official official advice from the rpg academy kill your problematic player <laughs> characters <laughs> all right so no don't do that all right um so anyway uh yeah no that was that was the questions yeah thank you very much everybody for sending those in we're going to save two of those from big al from next time but we love every episode we'd love to have a, a few questions we can cover if we get enough we might even do just a full mailbag and just spend an entire uh episode doing nothing but questions so Please email questions in. You can email them, therpgacademy at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at the RPG Academy. Please consider joining our Discord. We have so much fun over there. It is literally my favorite corner of the internet. Uh, we do just lots of fun stuff, talking about things, Disney shows, regular TV books, all kinds of stuff. And then, again, of course, please consider joining our Patreon. Uh, for $3 a month, you get access to all the cool stuff that we do. For $5, you get bonus episodes every week, sometimes more than that. All right, Tom, where can they find you? I know you're not on the Twitter right now, but when you come back, where will you be? I will be at Bezcar Tom. That's Mandalorian Metal. Tom, on Twitter. And then, obviously, yeah, like you said, yeah, join our Discord. We love to chat with you. Absolutely. So with that, we're going to sign off by saying, remember... If you're having fun, you're doing it right. Thank you, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize. But there are expenses related to the show, And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy. Or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook, or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can, and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.